friends. Thanks for taking time to listen in on part one of my conversation with the guys about how F1 teams make money. When we started this podcast, John, Dick, and I had a list of topics we wanted to cover in order to help new fans better appreciate the sport. This was one of those topics because money is central to the sports, teams, and drivers' success. As you'll hear, the guys have excellent insights to share based on their personal experiences and longevity watching the sport. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, guys, here's my next question that I think the group should discuss because it's one that we've been having offline and it was one that I posed to to you both. How do F1 teams make money? John, you were kind enough to write out a list of some key headlines that relate to answering that question. I know it's something both of you have great insights in. So I'd like to use that as the framework of how we'll approach this time of, t- of conversation between the three of us. I'm going to list it out. And then John, I'd like you to take the first one, which is one, you noted driver academies are where the up and coming drivers pay for the opportunity to be identified with the team. The second one is that you guys said drivers who bring in sponsor money with them. And third, commercial partnerships, which can be products or services or even research. And fourth, commercial relationships that are brand building for the company. Fifth are points that are based on driver standings and then the team standings, meaning the year before affects the income of what the team will have for the future year. And then six, selling part of the team to investment bankers or even acquisition companies. So John, I'm going to, I'm going to start with you. Driver academies. What is that? And what do you mean by they get to pay for the opportunity to be identified? Is that what I hear Red Bull driver Academy, Ferrari driver Academy? Yeah. uh, All of the teams have driver academies. And basically what happens is that this this sport, by the time a driver qualifies to be considered for a Formula One drive, millions have been spent, millions of dollars in several years. So what happens is uh, going back, if you go back into the 60s, there was no such thing as sponsorship even at that point. People raised money generally, you know, there were all sorts of schemes to to come up with money, but the, they eventually figured out that as drivers come up, they can earn money by selling to the drivers who are good an opportunity to drive for the Ferrari Academy, the McLaren Academy, the Williams Academy, and so forth. And that is a generates revenue. And so what happens then is that the drivers will be affiliated with that academy. They'll get some support from the academy uh, in the form, generally speaking, of advice and sometimes engineering support and that sort of thing. They'll be placed with with smaller teams in lower formula that have a contractual arrangement with uh, with the manufacturer, with the Formula One team. And so that's how that works. And and a driver, or more accurately, generally, his supporters, those people who have bankrolled this millions of dollars that it takes to get to this level, uh, will will pay the the Formula One team for that driver to be in an academy. You still have to earn your way. You have to be qualified. But uh, they even have competitions where they bring several drivers in who are up and coming. And they contest against each other in order to qualify 
uh, to, to offload a lot of money to the Formula One team. I'm not a sports enthusiast on anything but F1. We've already established this, I think, in other conversations. But I've always heard of minor league baseball and farm teams. Is this like that? Or is it kind of a, a variation on that? Well, it's kind of like that, except that, you know, my understanding of farm teams and baseball is that the they don't get paid a whole lot, but they do get paid. And generally speaking, uh, the Driver Academy kids coming up, uh, they only pay. They get paid by their sponsor, whoever's backing them. But uh, but the unless there are arrangements I do not know about, most of the drivers do not get paid uh, as they come up through the ranks. But it is a, it is a farm team sort of concept. Okay. Okay. Dick, you want to add in on this? Yeah, I think you know it's it's kind of interesting because I, I do think that that there is a certain level of prestige yeah these guys buy their way in but it's like john was saying it it is also a bit of a meritocracy you know it's it's sort of like yeah i need to throw the cash at the team but on the other hand if you're fairly hopeless as a driver they're probably not going to take you regardless of how much money they throw at you mm-hmm. um i could be wrong on that but um, you know, a team could be really desperate for cash. I mean, we know that Williams a few years ago was very desperate for cash, but for the most part, these guys, not so much. I mean, and you do see a very, on a very small scale, the driver Academy with other teams and other series as well. Um, same concept. Well, it seems like with the Academy, it's not just the financial, but also the prestige. Like if you are getting up to that level, regardless of if you're, if you're giving them money, you had to have, like you said, the meritocracy aspect of it. But if you, they, even if a team was um, desperate for cash, it wouldn't be in your best interest to put in somebody who's not good because that's going to devalue the brand. So you got to be still very careful right. about how much money yep. um, you're willing to do. John, going back to what you said about supporters, are supporters like family friends? Is that business? Yeah, it can what be any of those in a combination of those. Uh, clearly, some people come to the sport with family money uh, and that is willing to be spent. Um, but but for the most part, I think at some point there's so much money involved, unless your father's a billionaire, mm-hmm. that uh, that you have to have a business relationship with someone or some several companies in order to go forward. Um, and you you have a lot of examples of this. And if you just kind of watch over the years, the brands that show up on the cars and more particularly on the drivers' helmets and uniforms. Those are people that have been with them from the beginning. For instance, Ayrton Senna had Bancos de Santander uh, on his helmet always and on his car sometimes. And that was because when he left Brazil, they were be backing him and they continued to back him all the way through his career. Interesting. So that's a level of loyalty and early investment that these companies can um expect i'm assuming each of these drivers who are are going to have individualized contracts or is there contracts that it's kind of standard this is what you do when you go into the driver academy well the academy the formula one team will have a standard contract but all contracts as you know as a lawyer are Mm -hmm. subject to negotiation so Mm -hmm. so those um 
you know, for instance, I think uh, it was probably Mick Schumacher who had an opportunity to go to the Red Bull or the Ferrari uh, team academy, and he he chose to go with uh, Ferrari instead of Red Bull. That may have been a good choice or not, but there were some reasons for that uh, with his family history and that sort of thing. But but uh, it it is dependent. I would say also that uh, people like the like Santander they don't come into this just out of passion. Uh, generally, that's a business relationship. And the, the, the value proposition for the business is that they'll invest less money at the front end uh, than it would cost to be in Formula One at the back end. So mm -hmm. in other words, they're investing over the course of a few years, um, some amount of money, but their their gamble is that they will end up in F1 mm -hmm. on their driver in front of television and other opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a long-term right. ROI play. So I guess the reason I was asking these questions is not only the lawyer in me, but also for Americans and or people who are around a driver. I In my head, I usually think of like a young kid. The importance of that those people, their advisors to be seeking out legal counsel, to have someone in their, in their trusted group who does know business and negotiate, especially if you have a, a young driver who's showing promise and skill that people could come in early and do the long-term play, as you just said, or organizations, investors, and you should be really savvy to that and understand that that's sitting out there. I guess that's why I was asking a little more of those questions. Yeah, the, the driver definitely needs expert help along the way. I mean, how does he know, you know, I've negotiated contracts and those contracts included uh, items like, are you going to have new tires for the test days or are you going to be using used tires? And of course, the team would rather use used tires because that's cheaper for them. Mm -hmm. But But, you know, you have to, those are the sort of, things you have to negotiate and specify. Mm, that's really, that's a very good um, specific example, I think, for people to keep in mind of the value. And that's not me plugging the legal uh, industry, but in a way I am that you need to have someone who's watching your back. Okay. So then that leads me to the second one, drivers who bring money with them. That means they've done more of the deal making before they've entered into the formula right. one grid, right? So they've learned those skills, mm -hmm. hopefully well, and now have that as I'm assuming it's seen as incentive to the team that this guy's already done guy or girl has already done the work and now can bring this money in. Um, what is the world of sponsorship? Like, I guess it would be the question I'd like you to answer for us, Dick. Uh, well, <clears throat> of course, you know, there's, there's driver sponsorship and then there's team sponsorship. And I think the the commercial aspects of the team we can discuss here later on in the in this conversation. But um, you know, drivers, there was a there was a racing driver, American racing driver named David Loring from years ago, back in the 70s. And and he had gotten quite a bit of success in the United States and England and all that, but his career kind of petered out. And somebody came to him and said, Well, you know what advice do you have to give to a young driver? And he says, learn how to do business and then you can go racing. And, um, and, and I think that that's actually really, really good advice. And I think that, that a lot of these young guys coming up, of course, you can't expect a 15 year old to be able to walk into a boardroom 
of a corporation and say, here's why you need to sponsor me. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, at that stage, the parents are still involved. And so the, the parents who are wise will be building out a network of people who can open doors for them, who can, you know, um, grease the skids, so, so to speak, to provide that money that is necessary. And sometimes that sponsorship is really just to pay the driver's salary. But in other cases, it's to send, you know, it's, it's a, you know, to, to make up a significant portion of the budget uh, for a team that, again, is, is needing money. A, a good example, Nicholas Latifi, right? He, he was brought in um, not that he was a horrible talent because he, he was, he was okay, but right. he came from a very wealthy family, Lance Stroll. I mean, you know, Lance has, has proven his value. I think, I think he's, he's doing a very able job with uh, Aston Martin, but you know, he was attractive to teams um, when he was very early in his career, simply because his dad has a lot, a lot of money. So um, you know, that's, that's the other part, you know, the sponsorship may be family businesses, you know, and, and you, and you see that in a lot of ways. And, and other times drivers will go and do things like they will basically sell shares in themselves. Again, this is a little bit like bringing on a sponsor for a very small amount of money in the hopes of parlaying that into a long-term arrangement in Formula One. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's the other side to that story is, is that you could sell shares of yourself um, to get you in where you need to be. Um, so and there's been a number of cases where drivers have done things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, many times you just have to get really, really creative. But, you know, clearly a driver who is good, who can bring 30 or 40 percent of a season's budget is going to be very attractive to some teams. You know, Ferrari or Red Bull, they're not going to be interested. But for a team that, you know, is maybe needing to, you know, shore up their budget or something like that, yeah, they'd be probably really interested to talk to them. Well, this idea of future shares, I feel like it I, It was you and me, John, who had a conversation last year during uh, Silly Season. Wasn't it Oscar Piastri that there was some kind of um, some element of this? Uh, where someone in the, his past had a contractual right to him getting into F1, or am I imagining this conversation? No, that's that's actual accurate. Um, he had a business arrangement with a sponsor, which was a retail company, I believe, back at home. And mm-hmm. that, that company had an arrangement with him that said that they would get X amount of his uh, salary from F1 uh, assuming he made it there within a, a time period, I think it was ten years, and he he got the job within the ten year time frame, but he didn't start the job until after the ten year time frame, if I've got the time correctly. And so mm-hmm. they had a big uh, legal battle over whose whose rights were uh, abridged in that situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Okay. Cause when you were speaking, Dick, it made me think of, of that in comparison to what I often hear people, it seems on the social media, as I see this people calling, uh, what is it? Nicholas Latifi, Lance Stroll pay drivers. And, mm-hmm. but it seems like all of them are paying to some extent because you're 
you're bringing in the money to finance to finance the ongoing needs of the team, which I think is no different than in any corporate organization where you have, like, especially a, a nonprofit where you have a development team, fundraising team, those people are technically paying for their own salary, which is part of the organization's sustenance to keep them going forward. It seems, I just have never understood why it seems like it's a, a uh, a derogatory term that I've inferred when people call them, oh, they're just a paid driver. Is that because they're they're juxtaposing the driver from the the driver academy type of person who more ad- you can't see my air quotes right now, but like more meritocracy base. Do you see my question? Yeah, trying to mm-hmm. analyze this, gentlemen. I, I I, John, you want to take that? Yeah, I get your question, <clears throat> and but there is a there is a distinct difference between a person who earns their way to Formula One, for instance, by winning a Formula the major European Formula Three championship, and then the next year winning the Formula Two championship, and then the next year testing in Formula One and being the quicker than his you know already established teammate. Mm. Uh, so there are still. Drivers who do make it based on merit, um, you know, Senna, Schumacher, Lewis, others uh, who really do make it based on merit. Now, you know, do they have backdoor deals with with people? Schumacher had a deal with with Willie Weber, who put up the money to get him a F1 test. So mm-hmm. there are there are arrangements, but they still make it on merit. There are also driver schemes uh, back in my time. The Winfield School in France had a program where, on merit, the person who was fastest that year at the school after a competition uh, won a fully sponsored drive by Elf in the French Formula Three series, and that was where Alain Prost and René Arnoux and Jean Alesi and several other, you know, twenty or thirty other Formula One drivers came through. So there, there is merit, and those. That's why there's. Some, uh, although certainly less now, uh, derogatory uh, feeling about drivers who are there simply because they bring the dollars. Okay. All right. Not all drivers get there who deserve to be there. Right. Right. And I can, I think that's a good point to bring in is that there, this is, there's so many people who we don't get to know their names. We being people like me who are still very new to the sport. Well, those of you who are rookies who have been watching the F3, F2, and even the other feeders that are, that are more regional, you know, these guys and can say, you know, but for the business aspect of this, these people could by virtue of skill be, be there just as strongly as any of the other people that we're seeing globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let me move on to commercial partnerships, um, which I kind of feel like that this is a good segue to that. John, do you want to take that and give a little bit of brief? And then Dick, you could add in some more color. Probably Mm -hmm. the the most clear example that everybody would get is AWS, Amazon's services. And they're in a partnership, as are many other technology companies, providing technical support for the Formula One teams, whether it's in the area of software or uh, uh, technology solutions or logistics or all of those kind of things. And so these are monies that the team would have to spend with someone, but they will come together and they may, they'll have some kind of arrangement 
where part of the the service or product will be maybe cash, uh, and part or all of it will be services. Um, and it's the entire reason that Haas Formula One team exists. It's not because Gene Haas is dying to be a Formula One team owner, <laughs> although he's happy to be, but Gene Haas sells CNC machines to all of Europe and is dominant in that field. And he wants to make sure that his machines stay the dominant product in the CNC industry. And so it becomes a very, very important platform for him to um, to have his company present and represented. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dick, you want to add in color on that too? Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, there's just so many different ways that you can, you can, peel that onion, right? And, you know, Gene Hoff's a great example, but, you know, you think about um, uh, McLaren, right? I, I believe they've been tied in with, with Marriott for a long time. Well, you know, they go to a race, they, get, they take a bunch of hotel rooms, you know, yeah. just as an example. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't have to pay for hotel rooms for, you know, several hundred people that go to the, these races. Um, so that, that becomes quite a sum of money at the end of a year, um, and of course the beautiful thing for, for Marriott is, is that it kind of costs some money, but it doesn't cost them money, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, it, it's, um, um, it certainly is something that, um, is a, is a relationship that works well for, for teams like that. You know, it's, it's, again, it's, you know, those services are needed. They were going to be paid for anyway. So, here you are, you know, and, and here's the service and it probably costs the supplier of that service pennies on the dollar compared to just writing a check that would be of equal value, you know, mm -hmm. to, to the true value of those services. So. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. That makes sense, especially when you bring up the Marriott. Like, it, it, you know, when the races are happening. So if you block out those weeks on that calendar, um, yep. at that specific location, you can recoup the costs that you would have to the general public or other, other clients there. There's might mm -hmm. see an incremental to, to offset the costs that you've, it's already capital that's been outlaid. That makes sense. Okay. Friends, what did you think of the conversation so far? What are your thoughts about driver academies, sponsorship and pay drivers? Drop me a line via email, Sabrina at two guys, a girl and F1.com new to the podcast? If so, take some time to catch our earlier episodes. We think if you're a new or casual fan of F1, then you'll benefit from our F1 101 episode. You might also enjoy our series Deep Dives with Dick. If you want to learn a little bit more about John, Dick, and me, then you might enjoy our individual episodes where we discuss our F1 origin stories. And with that, let me say, that ends this conversation. But rest assured, we'll keep talking and you can keep listening in because we're just two guys, a girl, and F1. For John, Dick, and me, Sabrina, thanks for listening.